Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? It's good to see you. It's good to be back. I am uh, thankful to be here. It is much cooler here than where I was, and that is a good thing. However, you know, we just spent a couple of weeks down in the place where the Lord lives, <laughs> Oregon. So <laughs> I, uh, I loved, loved that. If you are uh, newer or visiting, I am I'm born and raised in Oregon, and Oregon holds my heart. And uh, whenever we cross the Columbia into Oregon, I'm just like, I'm home. It knows me, and I know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I just want to say, Pastor Holly and her family are not with us this morning, but I just want to say uh, thank you to Pastor Holly for the last couple of weeks ending our Summer Psalms series uh, for 2022, and uh, that was incredible. I love going through the Psalms together, and hopefully that was a meaningful experience for uh, so many of us. Uh, so today, we're going to be kicking off a new sermon series, a new message series, looking at the book of Philippians. And I'm excited uh, because Philippians is, has long been one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I can remember back in junior high and in high school where we had to try to memorize large chunks of the Bible, and one of the books that we did that in is in the book of Philippians. Uh, I can, I think, I haven't tried in a while, but I, the, the section that we worked hard to memorize was Philippians chapter 2, especially the first part of that. Uh, and I fell in love with the Bible, memorizing Philippians, and I fell in love with God more and more. In fact, this was a book that was pretty significant in my calling to be a pastor. And so Philippians is a powerful little book, and there's plenty to learn from its pages. Uh, this is partly true because it was written in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. And uh, so we're going to find out why uh, as we go. Uh, but Paul, the letter, um, in the, Paul, the author of the letter, we find out that he's writing from uh, prison in Rome in the, right away in the first chapter in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 uh, and 8. It says this, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and uh, both in my imprisonment, there it is, and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. And so we know Paul is writing about joy in the context of very difficult circumstances. Uh, so I think that that's uh, a fascinating kind of reality that we find in the book of Philippians. So we'll talk about that more in a moment. But it, things did not look good for Paul as he starts to write this letter. He wasn't sure if he'd be released He's pro he probably thought that he'd be executed soon. With all this on his mind, he pins a letter that is often characterized by the word joy. <laughs> it's wonderful. In fact, the words joy or rejoice in this letter alone are used 14 times. What that means is that the idea of joy or of rejoicing was definitely on Paul's mind, even as he sits in prison. So why is that? How is it that Paul was able to write about being joyful given his circumstances? What does it mean for our understanding of joy today? What made Paul's joy relentless despite the hard things that he was going through? These are some of the questions that we're going to look at over the next 
few weeks in our series together. We're going to kind of meander around this letter, learning what we can about how joy works in the life of the people of Jesus. So I'd like to just hit you right away with one of the main takeaways for the entire series. This will help shape our thinking about biblical joy and will help us as we go through the letter of Philippians. One of the main takeaways about joy in the Bible, and specifically the letter of Philippians, is this. That joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. I'm going to say this again. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promise. This is part of what makes joy relentless. (laughs) So in order to fully grasp how biblical joy works, we have to understand that it isn't only the product of happy feelings or good circumstances. And it also can't be separated from the difficult circumstances that we might experience in life. Paul is a great example of this. Biblical joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. We see this idea played out all throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and then here in the New Testament. Paul starts right away in this letter by giving us a foundation for why this is true. He, he talks immediately about two major concepts that help us understand why he's writing about joy. And I think we can easily miss these two foundational concepts. We're going to look at these here together today. Uh, what I'd like to do is just read the first six verses of this letter and then come back to the verse that we really want to focus on. It starts like this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, uh, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I love this book. It brings back so many good memories. But the, fir- the verse I want to focus on is verse 2. This it says, may, the God our Father, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Whenever I get an opportunity to, to end our services together, I usually uh, thank everyone for being here and say something about going in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus. Obviously, this is one of the normal both greetings and salutations from Paul in a number of his letters. We see it right here. While it might sound like it, this is not just a throwaway statement or a simple Christian cliché. I read a commentator this week who wrote this. Uh, Honestly, these words strike me with no particular force or spiritual power. How about you? It's just the standard Sunday school situation, or salutation, isn't it? It reminds me of the scene early in the story of Charlotte's Web when Charlotte the spider awakens Wilbur the pig and just says, salutations. (laughs) Paul writes, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I just want to encourage us. Don't skip this verse. We're going to talk about two significant concepts that Paul mentions here in this verse that help us understand why joy can be relentless. 
This is not just a fancy way of saying hi, everyone. He's using two significant, powerful words that help define the Christian community and help us understand how we can have joy no matter what. These two enduring concepts, they're enduring concepts and they're displayed characteristics of God and his work in the world. (laughs) This is why we shouldn't skip this. Let's look at these for a moment. The word for grace, charis, is used 154 times in the New Testament. And it means this. We, we talk about grace a lot, but it means the unearned, undeserved, unmitigated favor of God toward you and toward me. Wow. <laughs> the grace of God is one of, his distinct, is one of the distinctive features of Christianity and the Bible. No other system of religious thought, past or present, contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to that of our scripture. The doctrine of grace pertains to God's activity in addition to his nature. God is gracious and acts graciously toward us. That is the trait, this, this trait of God's action and nature is revealed in his relation both to his created works, that is you and me, and in his redemptive acts how he operates in the world, and how he has operated in history. In other words, grace is to be understood in terms of the primary and ongoing action of God. It is who God is, and it defines what God does. Grace is the part of God's divine activity that enables him to, as one commentary put it, confront human indifference and rebellion with inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. This is who our God is. God is gracious and gracious in action. This is one of the primary reasons why we can have joy no matter what and no matter the circumstance, because our God is gracious in nature and in action. Amen? (laughs) And he has inexhaustible capacity for it. So, Paul, as he starts writing this letter, that will include the significant focus on the idea of joy, of joy and rejoicing. He starts the whole thing off by reminding the church that we are defined by the grace of God first. Have you ever thought about that? There's a lot in this little greeting, right? <laughs> we are defined first by grace, the unearned, undeserved, unmitigated favor of God toward you and me. God's grace is a foundational is foundational to the idea that joy is relentless and not based on any of our circumstances or how we might be feeling. Joy, biblical Christian joy is primarily based on the character and the action of God. And the first thing Paul says about that is that God is gracious. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promise. Because of the abundance of God's grace toward us, no matter what, thank you, Jesus. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, may may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So now we've talked about this idea quite a bit, this idea of biblical peace, Uh, over these last couple of years that we've had together. Uh, Peace in the Bible comes from the idea of shalom in Hebrew. And it means uh, the unexplainable way in which God is putting the world back together 
uh, again in the midst of all the unsettled chaos happening all around us. <laughs> We've talked about the idea of, of shalom, peace, as connected with God's idea of wholeness. That God is putting things together as he intended it to be. We've messed it up a lot, <laughs> but God is consistently working and calling us to partner with him in working back toward the idea of shalom, God's peace, everything back as it was intended to be, God's intention for it. The word peace is used 92 times in the New Testament and over 200 times in the Old Testament. I won't go over it all again because in detail because we've talked about it again, but the word picture that we often use when we're talking about it here is it's like a wall, fully complete, all bricks in place, and there's no cracks in the bricks or in the connection of the bricks, right? It's all as it should be. All as God has created it to be. Humanity, society, in the wholeness of God's intended design. This is the idea of shalom and peace. So starting off his letter, mentioning two foundational understandings about who God is and how God is working in the world, Paul is building uh, for the Philippians and for you and I in the context of imprisonment, a means for us to understand how we can possibly have something like joy and why it's possible that that joy can be relentless in our lives. It's incredible when you think about these two primary concepts and he's, reform he's reframing for us why this is important and why joy is built on these things. Note that Paul is not being overly optimistic. He speaks, he's speaking about God here. Grace and peace are not Paul's ideas, but they are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how God sees things. <laughs> Isn't that cool? This is incredibly helpful uh, for me personally because I always tend toward optimism. Maybe you've heard me say that before. Pastor Holly and I, I like, we talk about this constantly. Uh, it's really fun, but I tend to see the possibility, the good possibility in all uh, situations, even in difficulty. Uh, but sometimes, even as I tend to be a generally optimistic person, uh, my human perspective, that can be difficult. I mean, take the last two years, for example, right? The pandemic has made it very hard at times to be optimistic. <laughs> can you relate? <laughs> but again, because God is both gracious in nature and action, and because God has been working for the, sh for the shalom of everything from the beginning, I can begin to see why joy can be an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of our hope in God. So we should probably mention again um, that uh, the point that, that Paul's not writing this from a beach somewhere, uh, drinking a nice cool drink. He's in a Roman prison as he's writing this. Grace and peace would seem to be the last thing on Paul's mind. This is incredible that he's, he's doing this. Another commentator I read this week wrote this, Paul is not writing from a Christian perspective. He's writing from God's point of view. He's not trying to help us see different, differently as in the glass is really half full. Paul boldly yet humbly declares this is the way that God sees things. Biblical joy goes beyond happy circumstances. It goes beyond good feelings. It's built on the character, the nature, and the action of God, his love, and his promise. Amen? <laughs> Galatians 5, through 24 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. But those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Galatians tells us that joy is a fruit produced by the Holy Spirit. We can't come up with it on our own. (laughs) It's produced by the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. At least true biblical joy is. So joy, in part, is a work that God does in us. And this is good news because true joy isn't of our own making. And it's not dependent on our own circumstances. And understanding this can be very helpful uh, as we go through the hardship of life. That's why, in part, Paul could sit in a dirty Roman prison and he could say that he's chosen joy, he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He's called this the joy of faith or the joy in the Lord, and he believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that God's presence is with you and me, inspiring hope no matter what. How is it that you are trusting in the Lord in these days, even in difficult circumstances? Have you, many of us have, uh, do do we base our understanding of joy based on happy circumstances or or how we might feel day to day? Or do we need to kind of reorient and reframe our understanding of what joy is uh, back onto the person of God? So if you and I are part of the story of God's people, it means that we have a history of persistent and relentless joy, which is not based on circumstances, but on the promise, love, grace, peace, and spirit of God. This is, I don't know about you, but this is exciting for me. It's encouraging to think that I could have a a deeply rooted experience of joy no matter what I'm going through. What's amazing is that as we track the story of God's people from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to our time today, we begin to see that not only has God promised to to give his people help in the middle of their immediate and even difficult circumstances, but we begin to hear, again, as we we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we begin to hear the language of the ultimate promise for all humanity, for all time. And one of the biggest, most significant expressions of joy For all of us, we begin to hear this language of a savior, stirrings of hope that begin to bubble up all over the place. In 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 10, it says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we, uh, we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And you know why we have everything? Because of the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. God's ultimate expression of grace and peace, giving us the hope that his plan might actually work out. (laughs) Another reason for relentless joy, because of God giving us the person of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for us. God is doing something great here, something that I could never do or we could never do. What joy. (laughs) As we keep reading this chapter This first chapter of Philippians, Paul seems to be practicing what he's preaching, understanding that joy is not a product of circumstances, but uh, one that God works. And he writes in in, uh, verses 12 through 14, he says this, 
And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and, and boldly speak God's message without fear. Isn't that incredible? Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable even in the darkest of circumstances. Amen? In a, uh, uh, a Bible project video on the word joy, that's actually, this video is really great. It's actually meant to be one of the words that is most often used in the Advent. Uh, we'll put it up on our resource page, so if you want to go watch it, it's a wonderful video. But it says this about joy at the very end of that video. It says, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made the choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down <laughs> that we often get in our own context or culture. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you are in need of renewed hope and joy uh, in your life that goes beyond your circumstances, Jesus is the way to that. This letter helps us understand two primary foundational concepts as to why joy can actually be relentless no matter the circumstances. Jesus is the way to that. He was, bo he was born to restore our broken relationship with God, to offer us forgiveness of sin, and to help us in a new way of life. Amen? Worship team, would you come on back up? Through faith in Jesus, we can come to God and be made brand new. Our perspective changes as we begin to see the world from God's perspective, one built on his grace and his peace, his love and his promise. So as we begin this journey in Philippians together, as we spend the next few weeks looking at this idea of relentless joy and all this book has to say, just want to start from this. Start with these two foundational concepts that Paul gives us. We're going to look at a lot of different things. You're going to hear some other voices uh, share about that uh, as well. But as we end, let's just end by reminding us again of one of the main points of this whole series. That joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise, his grace and his peace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I'm so thankful for the scriptures and for the significance of even what we might just uh, quickly read over as a greeting or a salutation. Uh, I'm so thankful for these two foundational concepts in the history of our faith for us today and as we begin to talk about this idea of joy. We all have gone through so many difficult things over the past couple of years, and I know we've heard it all over the place, from friends and family to the news, that joy is hard to find. People have been racked with anxiety and depression and 
difficulty, especially over these last few years. And while those are significant, we need to do our best to work through those in healthy ways. God, we also need to understand where true joy can come from. And it's not based on happy circumstances, but on your character, your nature, your action in the world. So God, open our eyes to that this next week. May we see you. May we experience you. May we participate with you in your work in the world. And in those things, may we experience a joy that goes beyond just how we might feel, but because it's, it's deeply connected to who you are. Holy Spirit, will you just fill this place, even right now as we sing this next song. Fill each person here as we go from here today into the week to come. I pray for just a renewed connection. May we experience your love. May we understand more deeply your grace. May we see you working for that shalom in our lives and in the world around us. Give us a perspective to see what you're doing. Help us experience the deep-seated joy in our life and in the world around us. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory. And in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this last song together?